0: Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Locked Down Podcast with Kayla Williams and Taylor Parsons. Cybersecurity encompasses so many facets of business risk. Wrapping your head around it can be overwhelming and stressful. Join us to learn how to tie cybersecurity strategy to overall corporate objectives and best business practices while gaining an understanding of technical and non-technical approaches to security and privacy, regardless of tenure in the field. Knowledge is power. Now more than ever.
1: Down with Kayla and Taylor. Our guest today is the CEO of Grip Security, Leo Yari, and our topic is SaaS security and its impacts on compliance and customer and market trust. Thank you so much, Leo, for joining us.
2: Oh, Appreciate thank you for having me.
1: Appreciate your time today. I would like to give us like a quick background on on Grip Security before we dive in
2: of course starting with myself Leo Yari. i'm the ceo and co-founder of grip security i'm now based in boston but if you're hearing this without video i have an israeli accent originally from israel unsurprisingly spent my time working for the israeli intelligence but was also a cyber investor i was the CTO for wild ventures which is one of the big cyber vcs until at some point you you see all of those problems so interesting and get jealous in giving other people money and I've decided to leave Wire Ventures, build Grip. They've invested about two weeks after I've left to build my two amazing co-founders. And uh, for the last two and a half years, we've been going to company. We're about 18 employees today, going to 110, hopefully by the end of the year. Or so SaaS security is a big problem for a lot of companies. And as I haven't said that Grip is a SaaS identity risk management solution. So we see how every organization today adopts SaaS at a rapid pace how every business unit expects to use SAS for almost everything that they do and try to help organizations scale their security co- capabilities to cope with that. That in a sentence.
1: Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. So I think jumping off of that point, so how would you define SAS security? And has that definition changed in the past two to five years?
2: Yeah, and definitely, I think SAS security is a multifaceted problem. It, it, if you look five, 10 years ago, of the first wave of SaaS security solutions were CASD. Someone moved the apps for the enterprise from the on-prem network into the cloud, into the internet. And as we assumed users are still working from their desk, solving SaaS security with a proxy solution made sense. What happened over the years and was dramatically accelerated with COVID is that we understood the users are not longer in the office and more and more apps went out. It started with Dropbox, but then, our GitHub servers that used to be on-prem moved to SaaS and our CRM and our procurement solution, all of them became SaaS applications, and it expanded the landscape of what the SaaS challenge is. So if you look five years ago, the biggest SaaS security problem was managing our top applications that run the business, Salesforce and Slack and Dropbox. But there's only a few of them where the average business unit whether it's marketing procurement finance are using 25 30 solutions each if c says here that you, you can just think of just how many sas security solutions that, that are a sas service are used within the security department every other department is using the same number and they pile up so first wave of sas of new age SaaS security was sspm sas security posture management solutions but the solving a critical app problem and not a SaaS problem. If Salesforce was downloaded into a self-hosted solution, it would have the same configuration challenges, the same privileged structures that are problematic. The fact of it being SaaS I had the complexity because it's accessible from everywhere, but managing it, its security, it's not a SaaS security native problem. The next stage, what we call SaaS identity risk management, is well the barrier for adoption for applications is a sign-up form. Every user of a business unit can go ahead with a P-card and start using an application. Even if discovered by the time it gets to the security department, the business invested 300 hours in using the app and implementing it, that close to signing a contract when you need to give approval, it becomes very hard to say no. So when I think of what the SaaS security challenge is, how does an organization that's using 400 apps that's going to adopt 100 extra app in the, uh, apps in the following year can scale its identity program, know which identities are created. It's uh breach remediation program and understand what's going to happen if one of those third parties supply chain applications are going to get breached, Or if one of the users that is using passwords to log in is going to use a password and scale the compliance program as almost every compliance platform today requires Knowing who's using what, evoking access in time, and making sure you can know when you need to respond.
3: Yeah, it's one, it's fascinating, Lior, that you say that, because it's one of those things that the average user, they just go through their day-to-day, right? And they just, they click, they authorize with email, or the maybe they've already configured for SSO, and they just click into the app, and they never realize the amount of times that they leverage their user account, whether it's email or whether it's a user ID to authenticate to all of these web-based apps or SaaS apps. But in talking about that, you really start to get to fundamentals of IT and security. And we know that user accounts used to be sacred, but we've we've kind of used that, that logic that we used to take accounts sacred or we used to take usernames and passwords as sacred entities. We'd write them down in little notebooks and lock them in our desk drawer and so we've evolved and neglected some of the basics. If we're to circle back as the as the evolution has changed over the last five years, for companies that aren't getting those basics right, how can we mentor them or how can we help them make sure that they're just getting the security basics right, including SaaS identity management?
2: Yeah. So I think one thing that's important to understand is that you know, SaaS is not going away. I don't think there's anyone who think that's going to happen even if they will if they're going to force everyone to stop using the browser delete google chrome from the laptops it's t- employees today expect to be using SaaS applications it's part of their business conditions you wouldn't go and work for a place that doesn't allow you to use best-in-class technologies to do your job and it means security organizations if they want to do the basic needs to understand the supporter of innovation instead of a blocker to it. It's not an easy thing to do because when you allow too much and you need to know that better than I do, users take it to, to its extent, which means we need to be able to allow the business to adopt SaaS in a way that gives us an opportunity to add stopgaps. Some of them are procedural, like not approving a purchase without a security review, even though it has its challenges with it. It doesn't necessarily mean you can block all of the bad things but it gives you another opportunity some of them are tech-based the original ones would use sso as much as you can but sso has challenges if you don't know about the app it's not connected if the app requires an extra payment for what's called the sso tax it wouldn't get connected if the app is created by a third party a common example for investment banks when they do due diligence for companies they create they use data room applications those applications are created by the company that they're evaluating. They create accounts with access to sensitive data, but then those are not managed by the organization. And we see that across every type of business, whether it's banking or healthcare, with insurance broker websites, or whether it's BAM, investment banking, retail, and others. So you need to have this technological infrastructure that starts with SSO back in the past with password managers, but they have their own challenges with, Reaching effective utilization, and this new age of solutions, which Grip is the leader of and a part of, that allows you to see what applications are used from day one. So, the moment someone signs up, know that they're using an application, and then manage its lifecycle as it goes within the organization. Whether it's being alerted for growth plans, so know when an app is going within one of your departments. Whether it's automatically Cleaning up accounts and offloading when people leave, and I have a lot—always a lot—to talk about when it comes to breach remediation because we've seen fascinating stuff that I'm very proud we are—we were able to help with.
1: Yeah, to me, this all sounds like governance to me, and it's not governance. Don't laugh at me, Taylor. <laughs> it's all about governance, and the—in I think the—to me at least—it sounds like the core of SaaS security is really identity governance and administration, is that the most challenging aspect of SaaS security in your opinion, or do you think it's a combination of different things?
2: Yeah, one of my favorite quotes from Dave Astley, who's the CEO at Portland, he told me back in the day, when my employees sign up to SaaS applications, we accumulate identity debt, similar to tech debt. It's yep. something that one day you need to take care of, otherwise it's a problem. And it's going if you don't give it a look. As employees sign up to SaaS applications, the organization accumulates identity debt. It manifests in risk within your past posture and your ability to do something and know if bad things are about to happen. But I definitely see SaaS as an identity problem. Tying that with the new Gartner trend of the identity path fabric or the security mesh architecture, they say, in a world of access from anywhere. And data everywhere, identity and context have become the ultimate control surface. So even if you block a SaaS app on the network, the users can still take their phone and log in. Even if they leave the organization, they can use a private laptop to log in. Identity is really the new gateway for access to sensitive resources of the app, of the organization. And I believe the new age of solutions that would solve for the for our enterprises run the business with SaaS being the operation system for business as an identity problem instead of a network problem or a host problem as it used to be.
3: I think that's huge because historically, and I've done, I was at Digital Shadows for a while doing digital risk protection. And I I used to talk to a lot of customers about identity debt or identity management. And a lot of the historical way that we manage identities is, did you pop up when have I been pwned? Are, did you get an alert that you were a part of a breach record? And then we've always had classifications. There used to be the recommendation, change password every 90 days, never reuse same passwords, things like that. And then those recommendations have obviously changed over time. There's no sense if your password hasn't been breached to change it every 90 days anymore, I think, which kind of shocked the industry because we got out of that norm. But I, I think that what you said is key is identity and context with data everywhere creates a very scary situation with the amount of, I just know, like me personally, the amount of times that I use my email to authorize apps all of the time, Spotify, things like Notion or schedule management, SaaS applications, like it's always everywhere. It's on my phone, it's on my iPad, it's on my computer. So it is a realization as you contextualized everything over the last few minutes but as we talk about that even as security professionals i think oftentimes we just click it we know what we're accepting we tend to say that we know that the we understand the risk but for those of for those that are first starting out or those that you know we need to bring back to reality what are some recommendations or advice that you have to start on the journey of either reducing identity debt or instilling a type of sas security profiling that they're paying better attention to
2: yeah thank you for the comment and i definitely agree i would just add in this world of an identity fabric those identities are connected to each other so if if you're following like most breaches today phishing passwords and credential stuffing so your adidas.com identity uh, if used with a corporate identity mm-hmm. if this password is leaked and adidas as a consumer website is more prone to Phishing, as an example, is then used by attackers to try and log in to other applications. This is how Uber was breached in 2016. This is how Chick fil A was breached earlier this year. And when a security organization needs to understand the risk surface of what those breaches mean, the risk surface is all of those password based applications because they share the same identity, the same email mostly. And once one of those identities is compromised, it could be then used to try and log into different apps. And it becomes awfully challenging to build this list yourself. As many first steps in security, visibility is key. Knowing what people are using helps you both assess the risk and react when something happens. So my biggest recommendation would be use a tool that gives you visibility. They usually do it for free Uh, if you take... POC assessment. So, evaluating the risk is, is a very simple process. A grip and not only grip is a 15 minute setup for a POC. And we're happy that some companies use us to evaluate their environment and not necessarily plan to buy. And then it's our responsibility to show how we're going to show continuous value even post uh, eye opening uh, inventory.
1: Yeah, and I think that continuous value brings me to the title of this episode is on customer and market trust, and that, I think that ties into this continuous value that that you were just discussing. Customers are becoming more sophisticated. The industry, the marketplace is becoming far more intelligent on what security risk actually is, and the concept of the hacker in the black sweatshirt, hooded sweatshirt, sitting in a room is. It's finally seeing its, its sunset days. <laughs> so how do you help your customers to address their customer needs? That trust piece is huge, right? Being able to demonstrate that SaaS security is paramount to an organization's objectives. Obviously, it is for yours as well. But do you have any any insight you could provide on what you're doing to address the marketplace and trust?
2: A few times a month when the security questionnaires get to me, I share the responsibility with the Dana, co-founder and and CTO. One very fun moment for me is when I need to fill out the questionnaire and the response to the question is, we use Grip to do it. Because if we can say so, our customers can do so as well. And we know there's several requirements in the security questionnaire, compliance processes in our SOC 2, or for banks, it's NYDFS or Mm DORA, clients' metrics that require SaaS security. When we can do that and our customers can do that as well, we help them save time, get more customers, and improve the overall security posture. So that's very important for me. We also track metrics that have a secondhand effect in how they can show trust or improve their trust with our customers. For example, accelerating the pace in which SaaS applications get connected to SSL. It sounds rather cannibalistic because if we focus on the risk of those password-based applications and we eliminate them one by one, maybe the good value increases, but we just assume there's going to be more. And we span our capabilities across both IDP identities and user-generated identities or user-led identities. So for us, it's great to see how an organization can triple the number of SSL applications in the first three, four months of usage and reduce time to SSO by a half since someone's starting to use the app because when you show those metrics to your customers, when they ask you how you secure identities, how you enforce MFA, can you show them that not only your core apps Salesforce and GitHub are connected to MFA but that you have this built-on process from the first moment a user signs up to an app until the app gets MFA enabled, SSO enabled. They know that they're not seeing a snapshot of what these security portrait is right like now. They're seeing pulses that can help them be confident that this snapshot is going to stay the same over time.
3: So that's huge for me. So Leo, my primary career has been in customer success, technical account management. So transparency and building trust are very fundamental to My day to day activities. One of the things that you hit on, and when you're filling out these RPs and these security questionnaires. I used to work for a CISO named Rick Holland at Digital Shadows who coined the phrase, eat your own barbecue. It's kind of eat your own dog food, but nobody wants to eat dog food. Let's be honest.
1: Drink your own champagne. That's my line. (laughs) Come on, I got to class it up.
3: (laughs) You're a CISO. I am over in customer success. We don't get champagne. We get sparkling grape juice over here. (laughs) So one of the things, you being honest back to potential customers during POCs, and showing them how you're evaluating your own internal processes, being very transparent that you're very clearly using your own tool, your own processes to answer these questions. I think that's huge because not only does it help build confidence that the tool is working, but it shows that over time, as your company grows, and as you develop more robust security operations and explore other areas. I'm sure your company will grow outside of just user-generated and IDP-initiated types of user activities, but it shows that you guys are continuously investing in yourselves by investing in your product because it's helping ensure that you're staying secure and you're keeping your users in that balance that you were talking about where they're able to use best-in-class technology and they have that rock-solid foundation that they're allowed to use SaaS applications, but you have that lifecycle monitoring of also keeping them safe and being able to go to the security team and say, Hey, we need to start evaluating some of these products. We're seeing trends on SaaS applications getting breached. What are we doing? So I think that's very big. I'm not sure that there's a lot of companies that can honestly say that they use their own tools in the way that you
2: described. Thank you very much. We're trying to you, and I like that tool. It's something I'm very proud of. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. Customer zero. That's because then if you find something that's wrong or a feature that you need, then, you know, other people might need it as well. So you're addressing two birds with one stone, as they say.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And it brings up one of the last things that Kayla and I had talked about, really wanted to talk with you about is while you're doing that, while you're eating your own barbecue, while you're making sure that customer zero is using the tool Obviously, you guys have development, deployment, and process workflow improvement, right? But one of the basics that we talked about is secure engineering, right? And not only as a leader, but as a practitioner, how are you ensuring that you and your teams aren't interrupting flow and delivery, but also adhering to proper secure engineering practices?
2: Yeah, to our security organization, I think we have an extra responsibility compared to the your average SaaS tool to make sure that we're secure and the impact on uh, trust for us having a breach, and for yep. as an example, Notion having a breach is materially different. I'll say we, we do we have the privilege being the people who are out and look, being in Israel that almost all of our engineers are ex security developers. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's an advantage that some Israeli companies have, but it's not something we can based on over time one because the product itself becomes more complex to the point where it's not only one engineer's job to look at his own code and obviously we do the obvious stuff we do pen tests and we do soft too but then we're trying to stay very mindful on how we architectures the, architecture the features that we build mm-hmm. so that they would stay secure over time the one thing we don't do, and, and definitely intend to, but, but it's a disadvantage of smaller startups, is that we don't have a fully autonomous security team. We had our first IT security hire when we were about 55 people, and but for many companies it takes three, four years to get to this size, yeah. and I'm hoping that as we grow, we'll be able to justify, from a cost perspective, a CISO organization. And it, it has its own complexities, what it adds benefit to trust. I don't wanna hire a CCO into grip if I cannot give them the budget to buy the right tools, the authority to interact certain processes that made the company successful over time. And you know, to add security, it requires to give something back and this could be efficiency. So we're definitely gonna do that, but startups have an disadvantage compared to bigger companies. The cost of being slower is greater and security can result in being slow on some aspects and the cost of every headcount is more significant. So one of the things we do is that we definitely look forward as we're planning the company's growth to how we can add this integral piece into the active suite without needing to then go back and change too many processes. That means we need to build processes that would fit right in into a security organization when we get to the right side.
1: Yeah, I think that all makes sense And as a CISO. Obviously, I appreciate where you're coming from. And the, on the other side of that coin, right, I see the frustrations of CISOs who've been put in those positions. So your mindfulness is appreciated, <laughs> even though you might not have heard it from others. I appreciate that.
2: Thank you.
1: So I think it's really important, some of the things you said there. but. SaaS security is, no matter whether you're at a startup company or a well-established behemoth that's been on-prem now moving to the cloud, it really has an overall impact on the corporate culture and on security compliance programs that are now shifting how how they're evaluating security because now it is actually mostly all SaaS security besides the behind the scenes stuff with procurement and things and corp IT assets and things like that. I guess as a final thought what do you think of the state of the secu- security compliance programs where you're now you're talking about a, to- a topic that was near and dear to all of us but as i mentioned there are legacy companies that have always been on prem and typically you see that regulations security audits and compliance programs don't necessarily equate to security today so it's more compliance versus security do you have any thoughts on, on that, on where it's heading? Have you seen a change in your own, as a result of your own work, and how we're able to address those compliance program requirements?
2: So definitely, one of the things that's almost excited for us in GRIP is that we see how we grow at the same pace that the SaaS security market goes. And SaaS security is not what it used to be two years ago. It was harder to convince, it was less people who thought that it's a problem and it was prioritized lower in the priority list. And a very good example, especially in those traditionally on-prem, no cloud kind of organization is banks. We talked to banks in 2021, almost exclusively all of them told us that SaaS is not a problem for them because they don't use SaaS applications. And now two years in, Double digit number of POCs starting in Q2 with banks, just banks. The NYDFS regulation for banks requires all financial organizations to take steps for SaaS security, whether it's inventory and offboarding and identity and risk evaluations. There's a long list of steps that they need to attest to, and they cannot do that without supporting technology. That's true in Europe as well, with the DORA regulation, or the D O R A. And I definitely believe banks, even though they move slower, they're also the leader of those big trends. So, when those big organizations, even if even they decided that they need to add SaaS security as a budget line item or a budget category within their environment, I think this would follow up to then retail and manufacturing and healthcare, yes. even though healthcare has its own SaaS regulation. But then tech and SMBs, they should look at banks for best practices. And banks are not as wrong when they think they are less SaaS dependent than the average company. They are. They have a lot of on prem systems, and everything that's money related is usually on prem. And still, they need SaaS security. So the average mid sized company that's almost exclusively SaaS dependent would definitely need to shift its traditional networking budget from firewalls to identity centric solutions. Yeah,
1: I I would agree. Yeah, it
3: makes a lot of sense. It's a, it's a wave of technology, right? It, the, the climb, the adoption, implementation, the cresting wave, right? And then you start to add new features and it's okay. Robustness of tools, robustness of security programs. I've definitely. I've definitely had interesting times with financial institutions. They've been some of the most fun and most awkward conversations I've ever had. So I, I do hearing that you guys are starting to see a wave in the financial industry as well, especially with banks. It I've never questioned SaaS's longevity in today's market and the way that we as a society want data now. We want it delivered immediately we want instant gratification. But seeing the markets shift is huge because now it it gives you the ability to instill certain regulations where we've probably ran a little light as an industry over time. And being able to have things like mandatory reporting for breaches, regulations around identity management for certain fields, I think all of those are smart practices. And CISA is always releasing exploits, things like that. So I think that it's the right time to be in security, but it's also
2: very stressful. Yeah, definitely agree.
3: Um, Kayla, I know that we're right at time. Any last thoughts from you?
1: Just you know, Lior, I'm, thank you for joining us today, and I'm glad you're in Boston because I'm here too, and I hope I can see you again sometime soon.
2: Yeah, thank you so much. Hope we'll see you as well.
3: Absolutely, Lior. For me as well. I know it's our first time meeting, but really appreciate your time. I look forward to seeing what Grip does and seeing how you and your teams continue to push the buck of technology. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Really enjoyed that.
0: time together today.
1: Of course. Take care. Bye, everyone.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Locked Down Podcast with Kayla Williams and Taylor Parsons, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then add this show to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to the ITSP Magazine YouTube channel, and share the ITSP Magazine podcast network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit ITSPMagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.